Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast, along with Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Great to have you with us. Talk some SEC basketball. Have a good guest, too, coming up shortly. Chris, how's it going? Well, man, uh, especially if you're an Alabama fan right now, uh, <laughs> they are running roughshod over the league uh, in, in a manner that I don't know that we've seen since maybe Rick Pitino's best team that won, what, 15 straight road games in the league. Uh incredible what they're doing right now. Yeah, let's jump right into a couple of Tuesday games in the SEC that were certainly uh, attention getters, to say the least. And we'll start with Alabama. They're ranked number 18. Uh, They should probably be a lot higher. We'll get to that in a second. They beat LSU 105-75 in a game that was not as close as the final score was. Bama hit 23 three-pointers to set an SEC record. It was 60-32 to at halftime. At one point in the second half, it was 89-46. to It got a little sloppy toward the end. If Alabama had kind of stayed on task, they could have scored at least 120 or maybe more than that, I would think. But John Petty was incredible, came out firing. 8 of 10 from 3, scored 24. Joshua Primo was 6 of 8 from behind the arc and scored 22. And Javon Quinterly was 6 out of 7, and he scored 22. It was something to watch, Chris. I, I, I got sucked into watching that game. I was going to watch most of it anyway, but... I was like, I can't turn this off. I mean, you just, it was one three after another in that first half. They, they got to that first media timeout, and, and Alabama already had the game well in hand. It, that was one of the most impressive shooting performances I've seen in a long time. Yeah, and it's just, you know, we we called this uh, preseason. Uh, I wrote the Alabama story, and it struck me that in just one short off season. Coach Nate Oates and his staff kind of rebuilt this team in his own image. He trading, you know, big NBA or, or old aircraft carrier type bigs for these lean and, and long, uh, you know, two slash three men that can shoot it. Um, it was a clinic last night and you're right. It, it was 105-75 and it, it wasn't that close. Yeah. It, this was just a, a devastation. And I tweeted this morning, there may be better teams in the country right now, but I don't know if there's a more confident team. In Alabama's last three games, uh, they've now had two consecutive 30-plus point victories. They they dispatched Arkansas 90-59 to Saturday, and they beat Kentucky at Kentucky by 20. So in their last three games, they've won by aggregate 82 points. And they are 52 of 109 from three. That's 48%. <laughs> and last night I was struck at how uh, this was Nate Oates's. This epitomized what he believes in. Hard dribble penetration and kick out threes. Or uh, they've got guys that can make layups. Javon Quinterly, I never thought that they could replace Kyra Lewis as easily as they could, but this kid has. Uh, not only can he get to the rim, but he can make threes too. And every one of them is trained. Take it to the rim, put your head down like a bull in a china shop, and if somebody's in your path, look for an open shooter because they're going to be there. And last night, God, they buried him. That, that 20, 23 broke their own record of 22 three-pointers. And I I dare say there'll be a game this year where they'll hit 30 because uh, <laughs> they're going to try. They're, They're going to try. try. They, they tried last night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, it would not surprise me if they made 30. I want to say the NCAA record is 28. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, that's in serious jeopardy this year. And I looked at the shot chart from that game when it was over with, and there are no two-point shots outside of right close to the goal or in the paint. There's nothing in the mid-range for the entire night. Like Everything was either behind the arc or right at the basket, and, and I'm sure Nate, right. Nate Oates would look at that and say, I want to frame that and put it on a wall somewhere. That's, that's what we have in mind. But it, it was something to watch. I'm not sure how they're not ranked higher than 18. I'm not sure how they're just now getting into the poll this week because they look like a, a top-10 team. I guess, Chris, the, the question I have is, you're going to have a game somewhere along the way, and teams that have shot a lot of threes know this. You're going to have a game where it, where it doesn't work and the threes don't go down. Can you get enough done in other ways to, to get to the finish line, say if you're in a tournament situation? The old adage is live by the jumper, die by the jumper. Uh-huh. But they also like to, you know, their their philosophy, we've talked about it, it seems like every show now, but twos at the rim, free throws, and kick out threes. So I think on the days that, Maybe the threes aren't falling as, as prolifically as they did last night. Uh, I think they're going to be able to get to the rim. And they've, Jordan Bruner is out with a meniscus tear, and I think he'll be back, the big kid from Yale. They need him if, if they're going to make a deep, deep run in March. But right now they're playing. They've got so much depth. That was the other thing that I noticed as I wrote the story about Alabama. They've got depth. They've got shooters. Um, the good thing about Alabama is, as it relates to, you know, whether they have a cold shooting night is they've got so many people, uh, that, that can just rise up and make one. Well, Chris, in the other surprising result of Tuesday night, sixth ranked Tennessee went down to Gainesville and played at Florida. And it felt like a spot where maybe Tennessee could go and then score another nice win after beating Vanderbilt back on Saturday. The Gators beat them 75 to 49. Florida played well, but Tennessee played its worst game of the season by far. They shot 29%, three out of 18 from three, turned it over 18 times. Florida shot 49%. They were up at 11 at the half, but really took control of the game early in the second half. The starting guards for Florida combined for 39 points. That's one you look at. That was a head-scratcher to me. Florida had a couple key guys out, no Colin Castleton or Scotty Lewis, and you know a team that's already shorthanded without its best player. What in the world happened? And I got to think Rick Barnes is uh, delivering some some interesting messages this morning uh, as they get back and and watch the video and and get ready to have practice again. It's probably not going to be a whole lot of fun to be one of those players today. Would not want to be in that film room because uh, there are several, shall we say, teaching moments in it. Uh, Their defense, which was uh, ranked number two in the country, was like a sieve. Uh, Their offense – was abysmal. They just stood around, didn't seem to run anything. Uh, some other players are going to have to step up because teams are starting to put pressure and fit and, and get physical against uh, Vescovi, the point guard. He's not the most, he's not the quickest guy. He's sneaky athletic, I think. He can dunk with these, but he's not the quickest guy in the world. And, and, and people know he's left-handed and they're trying to force him right. Tennessee has other players who can play the point. They need to step up and help him initiate offense, help him get the ball up the court, yeah. give him some rest, maybe move him over to the two where, you know, he's probably their best shooter. And, you know, I hope I didn't jinx uh, John Fulkerson with that 5,600-word story I wrote in the Blue mm-hmm. Ribbon Report, but he has not played up to the level that I think Tennessee was hoping, and neither is Eve Pons. Uh, defensively, Eve has, but – 
I think his offense seems to have digressed a little bit and, and his rebounding. I think he had three against Florida. Uh, Rick Barnes was not happy with that. I think his quote was, all he has to do is defend and rebound, you know, and, and he didn't do that. So, uh, yeah, that was one of those where you'd like to forget it, but there's so much in there that you need to learn that Rick Barnes will, I think, use it. I still think Tennessee has a huge upside uh, in the league. I, I still think that along with Alabama, those are the two best teams in the league. But we're in the part of the schedule now where they're cannibalizing one another, sure. beating one another, and that always happens in every conference. But if Tennessee wants to position itself for a good NCAA run, uh, they better work out those kinks, and they better get back Jaden Springer. In the two games he hasn't played in, in SEC, Alabama and Florida, the Vols have not looked good. Yeah, he, he's a really impressive-looking freshman. I, I like both those freshmen. Keon Johnson uh, did the game uh, Vanderbilt played at Tennessee back on Saturday, and uh, Vols looked good in that one. They, they kind of just pulled away as the second half went along. It was a close game, and then uh, a flurry of threes uh, opened up, uh, I think, a 17-point lead after they went on a 12-0 run. But, uh, you know, Fulkerson's one of those players – you, you don't really notice him doing a lot at times, and then you look up and he's got like, you know, 16 points and eight rebounds or something like that. You know, Eve Ponds, as you described, rebounding and shot blocking is really what he does. But I, I just thought that game at Florida, they just didn't look like themselves. They didn't, they didn't play like a Rick Barnes team does. They were really lackadaisical and just, just were kind of out there almost going through the motions at times, it seemed like. There was one stretch where I think Florida made a layup, and then there was a turnover at midcourt, and they got another bucket, and then, you know, Tennessee immediately, they got it to midcourt. And Florida just snuck in from behind and I think stole it from maybe Anasiki uh, right there just trying to look for, for a guard or somebody to make a pass. And, and you're sitting there watching. It's like this is a, a top-ten team. It, this does not look like uh, what we've seen out of Tennessee. So that was a really uh, a surprising result. And, you know, so, some games when you get blown out, you say, look, let's just flush it and forget it. I, I think this game for Tennessee and for Rick Barnes is, is, is one of those you're going to break it down and say, okay, there, there are a lot of different things about this that went wrong that we can't have happen again. No, you're right. And, and I think that the big thing that, that I've observed, and, and it seems like it's on, on opposing team scouting reports, is they're driving it at Tennessee. And Tennessee was able to contain that early, but against SEC-level talent, uh, quickness, they have not been able to, to contain that. And the other thing, and, and this is an old bugaboo from – Really, even Rick Barnes' best teams weren't great at defending the three ball. And Florida had several drive and dish wide open three shots. They just cannot have that happen. So they're going to have to tighten their defense back up. And, you know, uh, uh, VJ Bailey had was one of 12. He was their leading scorer. They, they've got to get guys a little bit more consistent uh, from three and, and, when the three's not falling, uh, let's take a page from your opponents. Get to the rack. And yeah. I think they've just kind of – sometimes they get into a rut there where they forget that. Yet, it, you know, I guess you got to keep in mind, safe for uh, uh, Folky and, and Pons, they're, they're largely a young team, and, and they've still got a lot to learn. 
Another midweek postponement for Vanderbilt, meanwhile, and uh, that, that was a tough one for me. I was looking forward to uh, calling the game with Vanderbilt hosting Texas A&M on Wednesday. We'll uh, see that one probably made up a little bit later on. So they'll have that one to make up. Also, the trip to Missouri and plus the Tennessee game. I'd almost assume that they probably plug that back into its original spot. But, you know, you, you look around, and as far as, as how is COVID affecting these teams, Boy, you, you feel bad for South Carolina. They, they have barely been able to get any games in. Uh, they entered Tuesday's game at Missouri having only played two SEC games. Frank Martin and two of his staff members weren't even able to make the trip to LSU just out of a you know, precautionary measure. So uh, it it's just continues to be a, a challenging season trying to navigate COVID and everything else. Uh, you also had the first week since 1961 that Kentucky, Duke, and North Carolina were all unranked. That that was a an amazing stat to me to see that when the uh, the poll came out earlier this week, but none of those teams in the top twenty five. And Chris, there, there's still a lot of basketball to be played, but do you, do you start to wonder if time's running out on Kentucky getting to the NCAA tournament after Saturday's loss at Auburn? Yeah, I mean that's a legitimate question, Kevin. And and all three of those blue bloods that you that you named, Duke, Carolina, and Kentucky, are all dependent on young players this year. And this is a year more than any other where veteranship, uh, being old, having some experienced guys is, is a factor because there's adversity around every corner. And sure enough, if you look at the teams that, that are on top of, of the rankings now, you, you've got Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova, teams like that that are experienced and pride themselves on staying old. And and I think just in this COVID uh a plagued season that having a young team can be a hindrance. And sure. I think we've seen ample evidence of that. And then of course, some teams, I think Vandy and South Carolina in particular have not been able to catch a break with that virus. So yeah. Frank, Frank Martin, I understand has caught it for the second time, which, mm. um, and, and I saw him on a, on a video press conference. He just looked pale and, and, just really not well. And uh, gosh, I, I hope he'll be okay. I, I remember he told me in the summer he had gotten it and he didn't feel sick at that time, but there was just something uh, he said that, that it wasn't right. He just didn't feel right. He had right. to figure out what it was. And, you know, they, they talk about that phenomenon of COVID fog and how it can last. So I, I hope Frank's okay. I hope his team will be okay. I, I hope Vanderbilt can squeeze in those missed games but we all knew this was going to be a problem. Uh, it could not be a problem, especially in January, where uh, COVID cases and deaths have hit record highs, more than likely resulting from all the holiday travel. Chris, our guest has arrived. He is a Blue Ribbon contributing editor and uh, writes for Blue Ribbon Report as well. He is Joseph Dykus. And, and Chris, I know he's, he's a student of yours, right? He's learning from the master. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that, but I think Joe can tell you the first night, uh, uh, the first week of class, the first assignment he ever turned into me, I was reading it and I'm like, my God, this kid's 21 years old. This is the best, uh, student writer I think I've ever had. And I, I called, uh, one of his classmates and I said, do you have Joe's number? Yeah. And, uh, the classmate texted Joe, and, and he, he was like, what did I do? Did I do something wrong already? And I, I called him and proceeded to tell him that, that you are the best young writer I've ever taught. You're, you're going to be uh, 
heard from in this business. And Joe, what did you say? I was like, that's nice. Um, I had a football game. I was watching the, the 2019 AFC championship game between the Patriots and Chiefs. And so I was like, oh, that's nice, Professor. And I want to get back to the game. The <laughs> Patriots, you didn't believe it. Yeah, the Patriots were up 10 nothing, And I was like, okay, my professor is, you know, he's, he, he's very enthusiastic. But let's be realistic here. And, and what, as it turns out, he, his other passion is editing video. And I think a lot of his instructors saw that and saw that he'd be really good at it. And nobody ever noticed his writing. And the other thing about Joe is that he's a basketball freak. And uh, you'll see from time to time, if you're on uh, YouTube, highlight videos, uh, reels of, of certain players of bygone eras. Most of those are put up there by Joe. Uh, you know, he's mature beyond his years in terms of what he knows about basketball and, and, and what he knows about writing. And I was actually working out one day and he called me with a story idea that he had. And, and I thought, dude, that could be a, a regular feature of our blue ribbon report. And we, we call it, I, I leaned on my son, the pop culture junkie for this. We call it back to the future of blue ribbon salutes great moments in college hoops history. And uh, Joseph is Doug and Doug. Uh, I think you've got one coming up on Marcus Haynes, right? Right. And one, and one on uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Right. Uh, and and uh, he, he, he found, he unearthed some vintage footage on, on uh, oh, wow. Bill Walton <laughs> and uh, did a piece on Bob McAdoo where he went back to his days at Vincennes and in North Carolina. So, this is a guy who, in addition to being a great writer, is a student of the game, unlike few that I've seen at his age. Uh, he kind of reminds me of me in a way. <laughs> well, Joe, let's, let's talk about your, your most recent Back to the Feature story. It's about Tennessee holding Pete Maravich to, to 21 points and just how they, they shut him down. He averaged yeah. over 40 during his career, but never broke 30 when he played against the Vols in any of his matchups against Ray Mears' teams. Explain how the 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 TN1 defense, as they called it, frustrated Maravich, you know, trapping out of that 1-3-1. How did it work? So when Maravich would play against uh, most teams, they play him in a straight-up man-to-man. And those teams like Kentucky, like Florida, they were pretty much, okay, Maravich is going to get 50, but we're going to hold everyone else to, you know, 20 points, and we're going to win the game. Tennessee's coach Ray Mears thought the opposite. He was like, we're going to hold Maravich to 20 and we're going to force everyone else to get a combined 50. So what they did was they usually played a 1-3-1. But a lot of times they would just have, uh, they would have Bill Hahn, who's the point guard, who was the one in the 1-3-1. They'd have him just kind of sit back, whatever the point guard would initiate offense. He would go up to meet them. He'd force them to one side. It was, a, it was kind of a passive zone up until you got about 20 feet close to the basket with Maravich they're like it's a box in one but they kept the T they kept the three one behind him uh-huh. so Bill Hahn would pretty much play him man to man the entire game 94 feet but then once so he'd be Maravich would have trouble getting the ball up the court and once he got the ball up the court immediately once he crossed about half court one of the two guys on the wings would come up and trap him. They were pretty much, we're not going to let you get a single shot um, and single coverage. We're going to make you shoot over double teams. And he went uh, nine for 34 
and I believe LSU did not score for like the first six or seven minutes of the game. Did Bill Justice really smack talk Pete Maravich in calling him Teeny Bopper's top cat? I just thought that part of it was hilarious. And it was a great story you put in there about Pete saying it back to Justice when he had a breakaway layup, and, and Justice said, hey, man, he was just a lot of fun to be on the court with. He did, and the thing is that uh, Bill Just Bill Hahn said Bill Justice was a big trash talker. Now, of course, Bill Justice wasn't the one guarding Maravich most of the time. Right. He got to trash talk him. But it was weird because uh, LS, uh, Sports Illustrated came out with a story later that March calling him uh, the teeny bopper's top uh, co-ed, I think, co-ed or something like that. And so I guess the Tennessee guys, maybe they're the ones who came up with that nickname, and then, and then Sports Illustrated kind of ran with it after that. But yeah, Bill Justice, uh, he laughed when he talked about how, yeah, we trash talked Maravich, but it was all in good fun, and they they obviously respected him and what he what he did on the court. I, I got to point out here that Joseph has has uh, done what he's been taught, uh, and that is to multi-source stories. You talked to both Bills, didn't you? And right. They you some great stuff, didn't they? Yeah. Shout out to Bud Ford too for getting me this project. <laughs> Yeah, Bud Ford is the the Tennessee historian. There's no question about that. I mean, you really had lengthy conversations with the two Tennessee guards, didn't you? Right. There's the thing with the writing these stories is that you have these 30, 45 minute conversations with them, and you got to cut some of the stuff they tell you, even though it's really interesting. Actually, uh, Bill Hahn was telling me about after he after he left Tennessee and he was working up in Ohio, up in Cleveland, at some uh, bank. Um, Pete Maravich had a game with the Hawks, and he was playing against the Cavs that night. And so Bill Hahn actually passed Pete Maravich on the street um, before the game. And Bill Hahn, you know, waved, waved, like, hey, Pete. And then he said Pete Maravich just looked at him, just kind of like looked at him, didn't acknowledge him, didn't wave, and just he knew who he was. <laughs> he, just, he, just kept, he like just looked at him and just walked by. That's funny. It- and then you, you closed it out, too, with a, a funny story about how Bill Hahn went on the trip to Baton Rouge with Tennessee even after he had finished playing and then stood outside the tunnel what, in, in an orange jacket to try to get in, yep. into Pete's head one last time. Yes, that was uh, that was Ray Mears' idea. So Ray Mears was all about mind games. And so he was like, you know what, Bill, you may be retired, you may be gone, but you're not actually gone yet. We're gonna have you in what he described as like a guarding position, you know, hands up. <laughs> so when Pete, you know how basketball arenas are when you, they yeah. run out to the court, they run through like a little tunnel thing. And he said the first Pete always led the team. You know, he was the star of the team. He runs out first, and he said Pete was the first guy that saw him. And Pete stopped, and almost on the LSU players behind him almost ran over Pete because they were like, "Why are you stopping?" And Pete was just like frozen for a few seconds. He was like, "Wait, I, th- I thought this guy was gone." Now, the, what, I, what I left out was that was that uh, Tennessee actually lost that game. Um, I think it was seventy-one fifty-nine or something like that. And uh, Pete Maravich to dribble out to close out that game. He actually dribbled over to where Ray Mears and the Tennessee bench was, and he dribbled. He did a put on a dribbling exhibition right in front of the coach. To kind of, I guess, rub it in because he was sick of losing. But what I also left out was that uh, Press Maravich and Pete Me- and uh, Ray Mears didn't really like each other. Like I think, from right, uh, Ray did something to one of Press's teams when they was at Clemson or North Carolina State that was uh, that he didn't really like very much. And so 
Pete Maravich doing that in front of Ray Mears all those years later was like revenge. Joseph, it's a really well-done story and was a lot of fun to read. And, and uh, certainly uh, congrats on your outstanding work and uh, enjoyed having you on our, on our podcast this morning. I enjoyed being here. Thanks for having me on. See you. See you. That was our guest, Joseph Dykus, uh, Blue Ribbon contributing editor and writes for Blue Ribbon Report uh, about his back-to-the-feature story on Tennessee and, and its successful defense against Pete Maravich back in the day. Chris, it was a really fun read. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, you, you got to appreciate young people who have that kind of appreciation and knowledge of the history of college basketball. It was really cool to read. Yeah, I, I especially appreciate it because, as you know, I, I do that draft uh, column for NBA.com. And every player that I talk to, I give what I call the Bill Russell test. And it, it may not necessarily be, be Bill Russell, but I may bring up a player uh, in, in past who, who may play like this person. And if they've heard of him, then I think, well, okay, this kid gets it. He's going to be okay. And I'll never forget the time I interviewed Jarvis Fernando from Mississippi State, and I asked him. I gave him the Bill Russell test. This time it was literally Bill Russell. Yeah. Have you heard of Bill Russell? And he said, heard of him. I've studied his tapes. You, you know, I've become a better shot blocker because I saw where he would block shots and keep it in bounds so his teammates can start a break. And I thought, okay, this guy's going to be all right. I don't think he ever – really caught on in, in the league, but uh, it's, it's good to know that, that young players and young people uh, uh, pay tribute to those have come, that have come before. I'm a historian of sorts of both golf and basketball, and I really appreciate, and baseball, as you know, uh, being a big Cardinal fan uh, and you a Reds fan, I just appreciate uh, bygone eras yeah. and, and great stories and great players. As we uh, finish up our, our show here for this week, uh, Saturday's matchups include Arkansas at Vanderbilt, keep your fingers crossed, LSU at Kentucky, Missouri at Tennessee, Auburn at South Carolina, Florida at Georgia, Texas A&M at Ole Miss, and Mississippi State plays at Alabama. So uh, should be some uh, some interesting matchups to check out. Chris, that'll do it for this week's show. Uh, thanks as always. Always a lot of fun, and we'll catch up with you next time. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast, and we will talk to you soon.